And we're live. Welcome back to yet another episode. Thank you for sticking with us for the first 200 plus. And uh, we look forward to another 200. So without uh, any further distractions, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, I'm going to let our guest, Mr. Joe Vasacek, introduce himself. Hi, my name is Joe. Um, I write books and uh, I publish them myself too. I also write a lot of short stories. I write mostly science fiction and fantasy. I live out here in Utah with my wife and daughter and uh, we're expecting another one pretty soon. So that'll be really- Congratulations. Uh, really great. Thanks. So you're, you're a typical overachiever. One wasn't enough. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, we'll see if uh, two or three is enough either. We'll, we'll find out soon, I guess. Uh, so sometimes nature has a way of what's it they said in Jurassic Park? Nature finds a way. Yeah. Um, well, got so, married a little late, but we're getting uh, got married a little late, but we're uh, we're off to the races. So yeah, it must be the beard. I'm told that makes a difference. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> I'm just jealous. I can't grow one. I tried once, and I looked like the Unabomber. It was bad. It's bad. <laughs> anyway, so the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found them. So if, if you've listened to me talk before. Uh, I actually found his books um, when I first got diagnosed with a brain injury and I couldn't read. Then the, the neurologist said, hey, there's this thing called a Kindle and you can magnify the print. And so I did that. And quickly you realize that you find all the cheap books that, well, they look like they were cheap for a reason. And I stumbled onto your serials, which made it, you know, they were affordable, but within reason. So I found uh, I found the serials for his Star Fairs series, and I was hooked. And when things were bad, and I was going to see people at the VA with survivor's guilt, I have to say his books kept me alive because he wouldn't tell us what was happening next. And so you know that stay tuned for next week. I had to just one more week to find out what the hell happened, and uh, and the rest is history. And therapy worked. Uh, so seriously, if you're struggling, people, there are, there are hotlines. Reach out, ask for help, message me. Like that stuff's serious, and and you know I joke about it now, but. 10 years ago, it wasn't as funny. So having said that, that's how I found him. So when we started the podcast, I knew we had to bring him on and we've had him on a few times. So because you've been on before, we have to mix up the religion question, sir. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. All right. Terra Nova, Babylon 5, or Stargate? Oh, oh funny story about Stargate. <laughs> so I was having a Sunday dinner with my, um, my brother-in-law's family and we watched the pilot episode, but the one that has the nudity in it, and we didn't realize oh, it. Yeah. And that showed up and we're like, oh my gosh, turn it off, turn it off. Um, I, I did, I really did enjoy, um, I haven't finished all, none of the stories I finished all the way, but um, I do, I do, I finished, I've watched Babylon 5 through most of the third season, I think, and I enjoyed it quite a lot. So of those three, I'd probably say Babylon 5. I like Stargate. I've watched the movie in theater and I remember thinking this was going to be a cult classic. I was that hooked. Okay. Was I that insightful or just biased? Cause I really liked it. I couldn't tell you, but I was right. So uh, that counts for something, I guess. Um, but there was that they say a broken clock is right twice a day or twice a day. So who knows? Yeah. But uh, when I watched it with my sons, because you know, modern TV seems pretty garbage these days. I said, Oh, it was on TV in the nineties. It's gotta be okay. And then that comes up. And of course, two little boys are like, you know, preteens like, Oh, <laughs> you can imagine the reactions. And of course I'm frantically hitting all the buttons trying to make the dang thing stop. It was, <laughs> and I we had to have some conversations that night. I've heard the rest of the series is like, is not like that at all. Like it's just that it's one the only episode at all. Yeah. Which is too bad really. But uh, I did really enjoy the movie as a kid. Um, I really got it. Really got a kick out of the movie when I was when I, I saw it when I was kind of in the golden age of science fiction, which is twelve years old. So, yeah, yeah. I think that was one of those ones where it never that part actually didn't make, um, didn't make the final version or whatever. Hmm. And then it was just so when you get the the movie version for for the box set, it's there, and you're like, wait a minute, what? Hmm. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So, are you ready for the fantasy one? Uh, I hope so. I know you're you're moving from more sci-fi to um, to fantasy in general. So yeah, the well, it's a gradual migration. I'm still my heart's still in sci-fi a lot. So, but I, I will be having more fantasy content coming out in the next few years, I suppose. Okay, so we've got Sword of Shannara, the Sword of Truth, 
or the um, Conan series. Oh. Or movie, excuse me. I say series, but. Haven't seen the movie, uh, but I've read all of the shorts, all of the original shorts by uh, um, Robert E. Howard. Really good. Okay. Really love, really love Conan. Some of them are a little. Some of them are a little bit dated. Some of them are a little bit. You know, you're like, oh yeah, this is this would this would get canceled today. Um, but there's some really good ones. Um, my favorite one. There was one. It's one of his later ones. I forget the name of it, but he's he's stuck on this this distant shore with a bunch of pirates, and there's three groups of pirates, and they're basically stuck in like a Mexican standoff and he basically, and Conan basically weaves his way between them and manages. Cause like one of them has the ship. One of them knows where the treasure is. One of them has the fort and they're all trying to like split each other's throats, but they all have to work together. Cause there's like this evil monster that's like chasing them down. And so, and Conan basically is able to double cross all of them and triple cross a few of them and finally get away with the girl and everything. So that, that was, that was a really fun short story. I forget the name of it though. Interesting. I'll have to check it out. I know um, John Carter of Mars was the was the other one that was on the list to potentially uh, to potentially look at. The movie was good, but they didn't advertise the tie, so I don't think anyone realized it. And because they were so poorly at poor management at the series, from the movie perspective, it flopped. And it's just it wasn't horrible, which is yeah. kind of sad because that's the kind of one you'd want to have potentially sequels. But such is life. Uh, yeah. You know, what are you going to do? You can't make the market right. Yeah. So, all righty. Well, let's dive in. So first, uh, because it's been a while since you've been on the show, uh, we here at the Blasters and Blades love both the fantastical and the scientific. But what was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? Oh, definitely fantasy. Uh, oh, no, definitely science fiction. Sorry. Um, oh, man. I, my, my love for science fiction and fantasy really started when I was uh, probably seven years old and saw Star Wars for the first time. And so I was prepared to answer your question with the, the about the religion thing with the Star Wars original trilogy, because that's definitely what really got me inculcated in a lot of this stuff. And then I just I read all the sci-fi, all the Star Wars books that I could find um, and then realized there were some other books that were also sci-fi. And then that's how I started reading a lot of a lot of that stuff um, in college. I started reading stuff like the foundation books and things like that. And then I started writing the stuff and. I got uh, fantasy. Let's see. I, I, it wasn't really until high school that I really got into fantasy, um, but I read a lot of the. Um, oh, what was it? I read Lord of the Rings. Read a couple times. Read The Hobbit a couple times. Uh, Silmarillion. Really loved the Silmarillion, actually. Which is kind of. I, I think you're not really a true, like, really hardcore fan until you've read and loved the Silmarillion. But I mean, I don't. Know, I, I guess you could still be a, a, a Lord of the Rings fan and and not read that one. It is kind of dense. Um, but. Um, and then, yeah, no, I've, I've just been decided to write the stuff and, you know, just kept reading and, and doing that ever since. Okay. So what was your first memory of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it uh, reading um, the Star Wars novels, watching the shows? Were there games involved? Because we're of an age where video games were a thing. Mm -hmm. um, where did you discover the genre? I did grow up, after I watched Star Wars, I did grow up like playing the, the old original X-Wing game. That's like super pixelated. It's like a flight simulator, and you know, with the I remember. And I remember Arcade. doing like, I remember doing all kinds of impossible maneuvers that would totally black you out if you were a real pilot. But you know, doing stuff like that to try to avoid all the. I'm thinking I was a real hot shot with that. Um, or just like counting the pixels as you're getting closer and closer. It's like, oh look, the object is five pixels now. I'm getting closer. You know that kind of thing. But um, I think my earliest memory was probably watching an old. Disney sci-fi movie from the 60s or maybe it was the 70s. It was uh, The Black Hole. It gave me nightmares. It was really... And I read the book later. I think the reason it gave me nightmares is, is because everybody died at the end. I was like, oh my gosh. you know. So they get sucked down the black hole and everybody dies and it's just like... Anyways, as a kid, I just got me terrified of black holes and then it got me fascinated with black holes and then I had to know everything about the universe. So that's how I uh, really got, got interested. That is um, a traumatic way to do it, but but we'll take it. So, the um, what is it about speculative fiction? Because you know, obviously, speculative fiction is more than just sci-fi and fantasy. But that umbrella genre, what is it about that that you love? Oh gosh, there's a lot of stuff. Um, I like. I have a theory, which is that 
Well, first of all, just just fiction and stories. I'm I'm really uh, entranced by you know reading about different stories and reading uh, um, different people. And the nice thing about reading books um, as opposed to other mediums is that you kind of create the story in your head, and so you're able to. It's not as passive as other things, like especially with TV. You're kind of like just sitting back, and it's it's fun, but it's kind of a passive consumption. But with book reading, it's more it more actively engages your mind, and it also allows you to really get into the head of characters. And my theory is that um, my theory is that if 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 a story is set in kind of the familiar world that we all understand, the thing that has to hook the the reader is something fantastic about this person. So it's like you'll read this thriller's novel about that takes place in our world, but it's about this like ex Navy SEAL guy who has like can do all these crazy things, and it's kind of like the character's almost larger than life, or almost maybe not as believable. Um, because you can kind of strain credulity in that area because you're already in the real world. Um, but the thing with science fiction and fantasy that I that I actually get really drawn to is where you have stories where um, the world is fantastic, and that kind of strains the credulity a little bit. Um, so you have to, in order to make the reader feel grounded, you have to make the people seem like real people um, and be like, oh yeah, this is how people would actually actually behave. You, they call it, I don't. People say they call it like character-driven fiction. I don't know if like a lot of stuff that people say is character-driven is actually not that good. Or, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff, but there's also a lot of stuff where it's like just boring, not a lot happening. Sometimes it's code for that. But I think when you have a story where like no, there's actually action happening and it's happening in a in a really interesting other universe or fantastical world, but the people feel like real people. Like you know, you're reading Lord of the Rings and you feel like no, I, I would know who like I could hang out with Sam or Frodo. I, like I know who these people are. Um, just on, on a personal level. Um, I think that's what really uh, makes me keep coming back to a lot of this stuff. So they say that the two things that you have to do, well, I call it the, the jokingly, I refer to it as the Barbie rule. So if you have your characters bending in such a way and you can test it with a little doll, whatever, it doesn't have to be Barbie, whatever. But a lot of times people will write fiction and I'm like, do they not know anything about anatomy? Like parts would be breaking <laughs> off if you did this. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it's, you know, and then the other one is uh, I heard it at a convention once and somebody said something to the effect that the, the danger is if you, you got to get the little details right. So they'll believe the big lie. But like if you've got a horse, for instance, and it, it runs farther than it should or it never eats or it doesn't be have because everyone's on horses and they're riding all the time and everyone just seems to have a horse. Uh, not understanding that at the time they were a mark of stature because they're so expensive to maintain. And unless mm -hmm. it's a draft horse pulling a plow. It has very other, you know what I mean? Like for the average person, they don't have the need for that. So if if you don't factor in those little details, then they won't buy the big lie because you didn't sell them on the little one. And I think that's what's great about speculative fiction in general is because you can, by telling the truth and the little things, you can have fun with the lie on the big things and the lie being, you know, the dragons are real or, you know, alien Ewoks exist and, you know, whatever, right? And like, that's the fun thing about it is, 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 when you see people where their lines are, it's like, oh, so space breathing, breathing dragons is totally fine, but my Marines didn't cuss enough and that's where I lost you. <laughs> okay, interesting line. And like everyone's yeah. got that line that's different and I just find where everyone's line is, it's kind of fascinating. Oh yeah, yeah. So, no, I like, I mean, an example of that that I can think of is, uh, I'm just looking on my shelf here, David Weber, I think he does, he gets things really, really good with like the the military organization and this stuff. I mean, I'm I'm not a veteran myself, so I don't have a, a whole bunch of experience with it. But I can. It seems very much like, oh, this is. It's kind of what Star Wars wants to, be, or what Star Trek wants to be when it grows up. It wants to be an honorverse story, okay. But um, <laughs> but the the details about the first of all the rank and the and the military organization and the, and the way the characters interact with each other is very believable. And so you get into these spaceships that can do these crazy awesome things and it's like no I, I really feel like like i'm on that ship and we're and we're doing all these those interesting maneuvers and everything and that's kind of fun i mean you can wave your hand a lot on the joke is uh hand waving universities where we all attend because you know the science can get in the way of the story but that's that's the fun of it so transitioning away from um the the reading and the consumption of the of the material let's talk about how did you decide to transition into telling the stories yourself Oh, like how did I become a writer? Yeah. Well, when did you decide to say, you know, I like reading these stories and watching these shows mm -hmm. and playing these games. Let's make my own content. When was I cursed to become a writer? No, so I was actually, it happened when I was uh, pretty young, actually. I read, there were there was a bunch of stuff that I was reading when I was just eight years old. And I think the main thing was, well, there's two books, really. There was The NeverEnding Story, and it was Hold also, on. and it was also, um, 
Wrinkle in Time. And I read that and it just really got my imagination going and in a way that, and somehow I just knew, oh, I'm going to be a writer someday. Like, I, this is what I'm really interested in. This is the kind of stuff I like to think about and stuff I like to read. And I just kind of felt like, no, I'm, I'm going to be a writer someday. And I'm not sure how I knew that, but, um, but I just knew it. And so ever since then, it's been like, okay, now that I'm, if I'm going to be a writer, uh, you know, for a long time, I was kind of like, well, it's something I'm going to do on the side while I try to pursue something else. And then in college, I took, um, I took a few key classes and met some, some people. Um, I was at Brigham Young University and I took Brandon Sanderson's class. Um, I was actually in his class when he got the Wheel of Time deal, I think, in 2008. Funny story, my wife was actually in the, same, in the class at the same time, but we didn't actually meet each other until like nine years later. So that was, um, that was kind of funny there. But, um, and that was really, taking that class made me realize, oh no, this is a business, like you can actually do it. And so then I um, graduated in 2010 and, and kind of in the middle of the recession and didn't really have a whole lot of prospects, but I also didn't have really a lot of debt either. And I didn't have any people depending on me. And so I thought, you know, and then also around this time, self-publishing was becoming a thing. And so I thought, well, why don't I just try to jump into that? And I've got some books that I've been submitting to I've written a couple novels by this time and I was submitting them to uh, different agents and stuff. And I thought, well, why don't I, you know, publish a few of these myself and uh, see how it goes. And so I just kind of jumped in with both feet and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just been doing it ever since then. So Brandon was teaching before he was uh, published at that level. I didn't know that. I thought the teaching gig came after. So he was published. Um, he published his first book was Elantris. And then there was the, uh, the original Mistborn trilogy. Um, I think I was, I think his, I think the Hero of Ages came out either while I was taking the class or right after. And at that point he was kind of, he was a pretty good, he was a pretty solid mid-list author, but he hadn't really made it, made it really big yet. It wasn't until Robert Jordan died and he got the, um, he got tagged by uh, Robert Jordan's widow to finish the series that then he really became um, a really big name. And I'm reading the, I'm reading the Wheel of Time right now. Um, I haven't read the whole thing, um, but from what I understand, he really nailed the ending in a way that really won the gratification of his fans. And that's really what he, he already had a career at that point and it was doing pretty well, but it was really the uh, wheel of time that launched him into the stratosphere. And not only that, but, but the wheel of time was what gave him the platform. And then he just writes really good. He just writes really good books, um, especially like his endings. Like he really nails the endings on his books really well. Um, and so I think that has really won him a lot of fans. And he also produces a lot of books. There's a meme I've seen of uh, Patrick Rothfuss and George R. R. Martin and Brandon Sanderson. And it says, legend has it that these men never shave unless they finish a novel. And of course, Brandon. Is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a good one. So, but, yeah. but we're not here to talk about Brandon. You're way cooler than that. So many <laughs> yeah. authors will let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that you feel like shaped you as a storyteller? You know, it's really a lot of little things um, and trying to put a lot of the little things, like when you write a novel, you're putting a lot of yourself into it, but in a lot of little ways and, and a lot of little pieces. And you don't always realize, you know, what is, um, what is like where it all comes from i know for one of my first one of my earlier novels uh bringing stella home the thing that i really um there was a movie that i watched um and i forget what it was it was like it was another old disney movie it was an old western and there was a a boy who was trying like his sister his sister was kidnapped by the indians and she was going to be sacrificed at a certain day on a certain time on this cliff and he was basically in a race to try to save and rescue her and he um and this might have been the one that I gave you the last time I was on this on this show. I don't know, but um, that the being the older brother and growing up that way, um, that story really hit me and really gave me a gut punch as a kid because it's like, oh, like what if can you know can I save my my younger sisters you know if I need to? Because um, I'm kind of growing up as an older brother, you kind of like the have kind of this protective um, kind of sense, and um, so that really really drove a lot of the, the novel there because the story is about um, a boy who um, his brother and sister are, ki are kidnapped in this, and there's this war happening and his brother and sister end up getting, getting captured. And uh, his, his sister is turned into this slave. They're, well, they're both turned into slaves and he basically tries to set out to rescue them. And so just his overwhelming desire to try to save them is really what drove, what drove a lot of that. 
It's okay. Every time I ask this question, I remember a different story on my own in my head that obviously we don't say because we're talking to the guests. So I get it. Like every time something different will come to mind, which is part of why some questions stay the same and some we mix up. Yeah. Um, so transitioning away from the writing side, let's talk about things from a fan angle. So uh, since we've talked last time, have you gotten any cool fan art or had anyone cosplay your characters yet? Oh, I haven't seen too much cosplay. I haven't really, you know, I was, I was going to the con scene a lot before COVID and then COVID happened. And then I just, you know, for a year or two, I haven't really gotten out. Um, I haven't really stuck my toe out there as far as being like on the organizer end or, or having tables and stuff. I do still, I do, I did go to fan X and see stuff there, but so I've got, a, I've kind of got a little bit of a lower profile, I think on the con scene. Um, haven't seen a whole lot of, of really cool fan art or, or fan stuff lately, but I do get a lot of comments, um, a lot of emails from people talking about stories and, you know, I send out a newsletter about every week and, uh, Get a lot of comments from people about that, so that's that's fun. Okay, so one has the, anybody? One of the fans okay. actually. Nothing about one of the guys who emails me used to be like next door neighbors with uh, the Heinleins, and he, oh. he's like the, he's like the seven year old man who apparently has like a giant house full of books that he doesn't know what to do with, which is why he buys all ebooks now. But he's like, and apparently he also knew my grandfather because he they were in the oil business together back in Texas and. He was next door neighbors with Heinlein for a while. And I think he lives, he's a really interesting guy and it's really interesting to hear from him. Um, but uh, so it's, it is, it is really interesting getting to hear from the different people. Okay. So has anybody asked for your autograph since you started writing? Yeah, no, I've, I've done a few signings um, and I'm setting, I'm setting things up so that I can sell my books from my, my online store. Um, and so I'm, I think I'm going to, all the ones that, you know, that you buy from me, I'm going to, going to sign those if, if, if you want to be signed. Um, I think the first person, so I, my first story was a, that I published was a short story in um, this, just the, the student run magazine at BYU. It's called leading edge. And I think the first person who asked for my signature ever was uh, Eric James stone. And he's a, he's a friend of mine. Um, mine and my wife's actually, my wife was roommates uh, was college roommates with his, with his wife actually. And so there were, so we're kind of, we're actually kind of neighbors um, here in Utah, but he, um, I think he picked that up at like the first L2E where I was. And so he like, he's like, Hey, can you sign, can I sign the story? And I'm like, this is the first time I've ever signed anything. So that was, uh, so that was fun. That was about 10 years ago, I think now, but. Um, so BYU really is one big happy family. Everyone's <laughs> marrying everyone. <laughs> oh yeah, pretty much. We're all, yeah, we're all just, you know, that's right. Okay, so have you ever spotted anyone out in public reading one of your books since you started writing? Not really. I've gotten most of my stuff. So self-publishing, it's a lot easier to put stuff out in ebook. Um, I have put, I am putting uh, more stuff out in print, uh, making sure that all my books are available in print. I'm also doing a lot of. Um, I've started doing the auto-narrated audiobooks. Google has a program that allows you to be able to uh, to do that. I'm not yet at a point where I can uh, get narrators because it is fairly expensive to produce them with uh, with the proper narrator. Um, but I am hopefully if, you know, if these ebooks start selling pretty well with the auto narrated, I may start, um, be able to, to afford doing that with, um, with a human narrator, but, uh, just trying to get things, everything out in every format that I can, but the easiest format to get it out when you're self-publishing is definitely ebook. Um, and it's a little bit harder to tell is somebody reading this stuff. I have met some people who like when they find out who I am, they're like, Oh, I've read one of your stories. And I'm just like, really? Those people exist. You know, but it's so it's kind of it's always a little bit strange and a little bit terrifying to find people who read your stuff. But so far, every interaction has been positive. So well, mostly positive. But yeah. OK, um, so have you had any cool uh, or funny interactions with fans since you started writing? Oh, fun, fun interactions with fans. You know, this last fan X, I had a fun I had a really interesting time. Um, I. Fanex, Fanex Salt Lake happened right around my birthday, and I actually got a lot more birthday money than I was expecting. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm just gonna, because I see a lot of authors there, a lot of um, people with their, with their booths, and I was like, you know what? Um, I think I'm just gonna spend a couple hundred dollars and just try to buy a book from from almost from everybody, basically. Um, so I just went around to a lot of the booths and talking with people and just buying their books and everything. And so I made the mistake I made was that I um, I only had a backpack. And it was a, it was a, it was like a Milwaukee contractor backpack. So it was a pretty sturdy backpack, but I had overestimated how much I could carry for long periods of time. So I ended up having this like 50 pound bag, like trying to haul it off and then back on the train and everything. But, uh, but it was real, a lot of fun just to talk with people and, you know, other people kind of um, 
getting their start and you know picking up their book. And I have no idea how many of those books I'll I'll end up. Um, I'm going to try to read them all. I've no idea how many of them are going. I'm going to really enjoy, but hopefully I'm going to find you know a few good uh, good authors to you know to to plug plug on my newsletter. Um, so that was a fun experience. That's probably the last the the most recent fun experience I've had as far as uh, with with different fandoms and uh, and different um, conventions and stuff. That happened about a couple months ago now. So the cool thing about that is you got exercised by carrying that book around. So, you know, and you never really know it'll surprise you. And then if you don't read it and you ever come on hard times and you can't afford to buy new books for a while, you've got a whole bunch of them that you haven't had time to read. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have books just kind of come to me. I'm not always sure where they come from, but it, we're, I'm always like acquiring new books. And so it's kind of, I have about on my library, there's probably like the family library that I've got because my wife is kind of like, I like reading. She likes reading a lot too, but she doesn't think it's always worth keeping. Like she's kind of like, I like reading books, but most books I don't want to actually keep, but I'm kind of like, I'll just you know acquire books from everywhere. And so, um, so I've got tons and tons of books and I've just been going through them trying to figure out, okay, which ones we want to keep, which ones we not. And, and you know, which ones do I read and everything else. Um, but I have always acquired, like it is, there's a lot of ways to find really cheap books, um, like, or books on the cheap. Um, even just print books that I've just, I don't know. I just, it's, I guess it's my, my weird superpower. Okay. Well that, that totally counts. Um, so we'll, we'll take it. And, um, so can you give us sort of the readers, obviously your website will have all the things you've ever written because, because, you know, we keep that up on our website, but can you give us sort of the reader's digest version of your body of works? Mm -hmm. So I've written, um, written a few series. I write mostly, uh, most of the stuff that I've written so far is uh, falls under space opera and science fiction adventure. So I've written uh, a few series. A lot of them are kind of like in the same world, but like separated by thousands of years or, or different things, kind of like a far, far future galactic empires, you know, and a lot of my books kind of take place more on the frontiers of those empires. Um, I, I'm about to release um, an omnibus edition of my Sons of the Starfarer series, which was, um, Kind of after the uh, it takes place after the Star Wonders books that you read um, back when you were in the VA, um, and that those Star Wonders books have actually I've actually put them all together and turned them into a novel. I'm turning that novel into a trilogy right now. Um, but I've written, you know, I've what I've tried to do lately in the last couple of years is try to have something to release every month. And so to do that, I've been writing a lot of short stories, and I find that it actually is really um, really useful from time to time to write a story in the same world or the same universe with the same characters, or just to take a break and, and just write, you know, three or four or five short stories and knock them out. Um, it's also something that I can uh, send to other publications, anthologies and magazines and, you know, and, and get stuff out there. So I've been, so I've actually been writing, I've actually written quite a few short stories uh, and just getting those out there. But that's, um, so that's what I've been doing lately is mostly writing a lot of those. I've been working on some of the novels. Uh, I've also been working on, um, my, uh, I've been revamping some of my writing uh, techniques to try to write um, to write better, cleaner first drafts, and also to write faster. Because um, you do try to you you do um, to, to if you really if you really want to be like Brandon Sanderson, if you want to be really successful, you got to put out a lot. Of, if you can put out a lot of stuff that people want to read, then that's that's golden right there. Even if like if you have stuff that people want to read, but you're not producing you're not producing enough of it then you're going to have a, a bit of a, a problem there. And even if you're producing a lot of stuff that maybe not a lot of people do want to read, when people do find your stuff, then they have a lot of stuff to read. So I have quite a lot of stuff out there. What I've been doing lately with short stories, um, since there is so much good free short content out there, I have a policy where all my short stories, when I publish them, I publish them for free as a, just the short story singles. Uh, but I only keep them up for maybe about six, seven months at a time. So at any given time, I've got maybe about half a dozen short stories out. And then once I have, once I've cycled through enough of them, then I usually put out a bundle. Um, and usually that's about $4.99 for the ebook or 14 for the, uh, or 15 for the print. And um, so that's kind of what I've been doing. Okay. So uh, before we dive into the reason we brought you here, and if you read the title, it's about short content, uh, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man. What will you do when the world goes belly up? Will you paint stripes on your cheeks, grab your flaming guitar, and enjoy the glorious post-apocalypse party? Or will you gnash your teeth and wail at the loss of civilization? Either way, we've a story for you. This post-apocalyptic collection has 15 great stories, each with its own spin on our future. 
dive right into From the Ashes, a Bayonet Books anthology, before the future becomes now. All right, thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. And if you haven't checked out the Bayonet Books anthology series, you really should. Lots of amazing content in there. Uh, some for people you might even have heard of. So, so give that a give that a shout and a special thanks for our, our lovely narrator for doing those commercials for me. But um, all right, so before we dive into the specific short story, you mentioned that you were playing around with sort of new ways to release them because a lot of people like audio, but audio is both expensive to buy and expensive to produce, and sometimes the reporting mechanisms from some of the bigger venues are less than, shall we say, credible. I'm trying to be polite and dance around the edges of that issue that if you're in the if you're in the publishing world, you understand. So how did you decide to to try auto-generated? Like what was your experience with that? Well, I, I was listening to some writing podcasts um, and they were talking about this new technology uh, that Google is actually putting out. If you publish all my books are published wide, so they're they're on Amazon, but they're also on um, like Barnes and Noble, Kobo, Apple. Um, and Google Play. And with Google Play, they have this thing where you can actually, um, they're working on, they're developing this um, auto narration technology where you can choose, you know, you can choose, for example, the, um, what whether you, what kind of accent you want to, it to be in. You can choose whether it wants to be like an older person or young, simulate an older person or younger person or, and change a lot of different aspects of that. And so I heard about that and I started playing around with it and started seeing opportunities for that. Um, I sell a lot of my books on my own online store um, as well. And the thing about um, the thing about about audio. Sorry, I just smell my wife's here. What's that? Uh oh, my wife's got to get her phone phone, coat, phone cord. But anyways, uh, the thing about audio is um, you can't sell auto narrated books on Audible, which is kind of where all most pretty much all the auto audiobook content is. But the um, but you can sell it on your own website. And they have this, um, there's a few services that I've been using. Uh, I've been using WooCommerce and BookFunnel. Uh, BookFunnel is a really great service that allows you to uh, sell your eBooks. They handle all the delivery. Um, so you're able to plug it in with uh, with WooCommerce on, on your site. And I thought, you know what? Why don't I just jump in with this? And so this is something I've been doing starting with just recently. Um, my books, I do try to advertise, you know, hey, this is auto narrated content. So if you're looking for, um, if you're looking for a, uh, you know, so I know some people th that doesn't really bother them, but a lot of audio listeners, it does, you know, they listen for the narrator just as much sometimes as the author. Um, so I try to make that pretty clear, but I also try to offer, um, offer some deals on that too. So, um, so yeah, for the short stories, I've been putting out the audiobooks for free as well. They're usually about, they run about 30 minutes long or so, um, depending on the story. And um, yeah, I've just, I'm kind of in the early stages experimenting with, right, with it right now. Uh, but you know, it's a much more, it's very affordable. It's, and I figure, you know what, if there's something I can do and it's, it's an area, it's an area where a lot of people are kind of talking about it. Like, Oh, is, how's is this going to revolutionize everything? And there's people on, in all different camps saying, Oh, it's going to change everything. And people saying it's terrible. We should never do it, which is kind of where we were 10 years ago with eBooks. People are saying eBooks are going to destroy literature. eBooks are going to do every, and you know, it's, it's kind of, we're kind of in the middle somewhere. Um, and I think that's kind of where things are going to play out with that. But I think, um, you know, if, if it gives my my readers, you know, different formats that they can choose from and different opportunities to uh, to get my stuff out there, I think that that's um, yeah, I think that that's um, it's all for the best. Okay, have you actually listened to samples of the audio generated? Like, how does that play out as far as like obviously it's going to be different because you maybe you don't get all the inflections of an actual narrator human reading it, but how does it stack up as compared to the robotic voice you get, for instance, if word reads to you? Yeah, no, it's, oh, it's it's much better than where than where it was even just a couple of years ago, and it's it's getting it's getting better very rapidly. Um, I do in the interface where I do, you can listen to it as it's narrating, and so I'll usually go through. For example, I'll find some words that, um, if it, and you can go through also in the text and kind of change the text a little bit. You can tweak it when you uh, when you record it. Um, so I, I try to do that. I try to make sure that I can get the little uh, the little weird ticks out. Um, but yeah, no, I've I've listened to some of it, and you know, I, I when I first got started with it, I was like, well, let me give it, a, let me just put some of my stories through to see whether it's whether this is any good, and if it's not good, then I don't want to put it out there. Um, but I listened to it, and I was actually fairly impressed with it, and so I mean, I listened to to some to audiobooks fairly 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 often myself, and so it's like it's not it's definitely not there with a with a human, 
but it's very it's very um I I found it very very readable, uh, very listenable, and thought you know what let's let's just let's give it a shot. Well, I, I have a funny spot in my in my heart for audiobooks because sometimes even with ebooks and being able to magnify the hell out of it, you know, just migraines are a thing. Who knew twenty seven concussions was bad for your health? And so sometimes just being able to to pause the the eye to to brain muscle and just listen to it allows me to consume content on times where otherwise I wouldn't be able to. But if you're ever hitting hard times, man, that audiobook, $30 a book can get you. And yeah, yeah, I mean, you can get subscriptions or you can get the, you know, paired buying when you buy the ebook and the audiobook and you can save money. But we're still talking sometimes 10 or $15 to get that audiobook at that point. So if you can find ways for people on a budget to be able to consume, you might be allowing people to read who might otherwise not be able to. Um, and so I, I, I like the idea that technology is going there. I know. Joanna Penn has talked about that some on her writing podcast about the the revolution is technology. Now she's very much in the all technological revolution change is a good thing. Um, I don't know that I always agree um, as a general rule, but I do think that this has potential. So when do you decide, okay, I'm ready to dive all the way in. Are you going to like, are you satisfied enough to, to put your catalog out that way until you can get around to hiring like human narrators? No, I am. I am. I'm, and I'm jumping. I'm jumping into it right now. I just have a lot of stuff to to go through. Um, so I, my plan is in the next few months to try to get everything out into audio. Um, and then you know, because well, uh, my plan is to get everything out into audio. It's going to take a little while just because I have so much to go through. Um, and also, you know, trying to juggle that with also a little rambunctious two year old who's you know always who doesn't she's not taking her naps anymore. So it's like, oh no, what are we going to do? But um, but with throw the young ones, so enjoy it. Well, and with the writing too, I, I do want to keep. I definitely need to keep the writing, and that is that is the really important thing. But um, no, next I, I am jumping into it with uh, with both feet um, and trying to do it. My plan at this point, so um, I'm still trying. I'm still trying to feel things out and trying to figure things out. I am. I think because I do have um, the two primary places where I'm selling my books um, at this point are uh, my my audio books are on uh, Google Play and on my online store. So to really, to really, um, whenever I release a new one, it'll uh, you really have to, well, to sign up for a newsletter to really uh, get the alerts on that. Um, visibility might be a little bit like we'll we'll see how that works, but um, there's uh, as far as pricing and stuff, I think what I'm going to do is price it, you know, around the same range, kind of in the lower end of the range for audiobooks, but still still in that range where audiobooks are, but then do frequent sales. Uh, so right now, for example, I'm doing a 4.99 sale on my. Uh, uh, Gunslinger to the Stars, uh, just through November, and I'm going to release in the next couple of weeks here. I'm going to release the other books for that, um, the other books in that trilogy, and so have them at low that. And then also where the um, the other thing that I think that I'm going to be doing is, you know, ebooks. I think if, and this is just a, my own personal opinion, but I think you know if if you buy a print book or you buy an audio book, you ought to get the ebook at the same time. Um, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't. Um, I can so, agree with that. So that's that's what I'm doing on my store basically. So whenever you buy the so one of the things I'm experimenting with is uh, whenever you buy a paperback or whenever you buy the um, the audiobook, you also get the ebook just for free with it. Um, so I'm just I don't know I'm just kind of it's early days. I'm still experimenting with it, but um, yeah, no, just you know, my, I guess the way that I do things here is uh, the way that I've done things as far as uh, with the indie publishing and the indie writing has been just to jump in with both feet and uh, you know figure it out. You know, knit my parachute on the way down. And or if just figure things out as we go along, so that's kind of the way that I'm uh, I'm doing it here. I do have a plan, um, so I don't. It's not like I'm totally just winging it. I do have a bit. Of, I do have a plan, but um, the plan so far right now is just to jump in and see how it goes. So, is this something that you buy a computer program that you then funnel your your story into, or is this something that generates on demand as you, as they you know listen? How does that? How does the technology end work in a simple sort of version? So, BookFunnel has an app. Uh, that you can download to your device, or you can just read it in your browser, and it will actually play in your browser uh, or in the app. So the app also does the audiobook. Yeah, they they and they're they're doing the beta too. So they they're also kind of in the early days figuring this out too. Um, but yeah, I've tested it, and basically, like you you can listen to the audiobook um, in in your browser. So if, with any kind of browser, and they're they also have an app. Um, I haven't I haven't tested the app. Uh, experience, but I know that they that you're allowed that you can do that there. I think you can also. 
I'm not sure. I think you can also download it and listen to it in a, in a third party app, but I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, you should be able to, but I'm not sure. Um, but I do know that you can, what, when I've tested it, I've mostly just listened to the browser and that's, that's been fine. Okay. I'll have to check it out and play with it too. Cause now how, how does it work on the production side? Do you pay per conversion or like, is there a program you use to, to generate the file, the audio file, or do they do it on the, on the consumer on the market end? So right now, so Google, um, well, Google is actually also in beta with this. Uh, and so while they're in beta, it's um, it's basically free to produce um, because I, I assume because they're just using the content to make it, you know, to improve their uh, design. Um, so actually the production doesn't cost, um, doesn't cost a whole lot at all on my end. I think when they are out of beta, it's gonna be a small fee to produce. Um, but it, from, what it, from what I can tell, it, it seems like it'll be a very reasonable fee. Uh, BookFunnel, when they come out of beta for their audiobook delivery, um, It'll be like an annual fee, I think, of like a hundred dollars or something like that, which is, but that's that's fairly reasonable from a you know from a, from a publishing yeah. end. And so, um, so go ahead. No, go, you go ahead. As I say, so so we've talked about the 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 attempt to revolutionize for people because some people won't read short content if they're audio books because you know if they're using a credit they want to get their money's worth right. So yeah. I think the formula generically is in order to break even on the price of an audio credit versus the the length of a book you need it to be at least 14 hours roughly 10 to 14 range mm -hmm. before people think it's a, a good enough deal depending on obviously the more famous and and the narrator and author the the shorter you can get away with like the it's it's sort of a movable goalpost for people but uh so that makes short content almost inaccessible if for, for audio <laughs> consumers so you know, I, I think it's it's amazing that you're doing that. But speaking of your short content, which is the other part of the the interview, do you have a favorite of all the short stories you've written? Oh boy, of all the short stories that I've written, oh my gosh! You know, writers say they say, "Oh, I can't choose between you know between my favorite." It's like choosing between my children, and I think that's crap, honestly. Um, you know, my children are my children, my books are my books. They're totally different, but. But um, it is kind of hard to pick. I think the one that was the funnest to write, well, of the ones that are out right now, um, probably the funnest to write was, like in the graphic you have there, was either Prison of Dreams or Christopher Columbus Wildcatter, which is one that's, the newest one right now is like Christopher Columbus Wildcatter. Those are both stories that, um, I don't know, have you heard of the Mithulu story generation uh, card? Like the Mithulu card system? Yeah. 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 So those stories, what what I've taken to with short stories is whenever I'm like, oh, I need to write a short story, I'll grab the my Mathulu deck and I'll just you know just draw a bunch of cards, and I'll just go for a walk and be like, okay, how can I fit all these things together? And usually by the end of the of the walk, stories come together, and that's that's how those ones came together. But Christopher Columbus Wildcatter was a lot of fun because the character's voice just really took off on a direction of his own. He's this um, he's this uh, it's it's kind of this far future. Uh, he's this Guy, he wants to be, his name is Christopher Columbus Jackson, and he wants to be an interstellar explorer, but he's kind of, you know, kind of a scrappy kid on the frontier, and he's trying to, so he tries to break in by becoming this asteroid wildcatter, and he has all these crazy, wacky ideas about, you know, what things were like, like, and he's always talking about Christopher Columbus, and, you know, how Christopher Columbus fought the zombie Nazis, the zombie uh, Vikings on his, uh, when he was trying to find the Northwest Passage, and then found Montezuma's gold in the Rocky Mountains. So he's got all these crazy ideas about stuff that's happened in the past, but, and he's always, uh, and then he, and then he runs across, oh, what is he? He, he runs across some warrior monks from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Post-Millennial Saints Orthodox, which in this universe are fighting trans-dimensional um, anomalies and doing all kinds of crazy things. So he gets into some pretty crazy adventures, but those, so those were, those are pretty fun to write. fun to write. So of all the short content you've produced, I really liked, I think it was Utah Raptors at Dawn or Velociraptors at Dawn, but the, mm -hmm. the, um, where they basically, you know, you duel <laughs> on a, on, instead of a mount, you've got dinosaurs because dinosaurs, what's not to love. Um, yeah. and then you did one about time travel at Gettysburg. And I think it was the Gettysburg paradox was actually the name of it. Um, but I could be wrong. And that was another really good one. That's, uh, I don't know how to talk about that one without spoiling it because this, you know, but you think at first you're reading just a standard um, story about Gettysburg with one guy as a time traveler and watching it. And you're thinking, how is he going to mess up the timeline? 
And then the big reveal at the end was just mm, chef's kiss of awesome. Um, <laughs> so, so that was a really good one. You should really check it out. Uh, is, are those two still for sale? I know you pull them down or are they in different bundles? So those ones are different. Those ones are down now. Um, the Gettysburg paradox, uh, it is available in my uh, collection, pilgrims and time travelers. And okay. it's also, if you, if you hunt around online, there's a link to it on my website. It's kind of, a, it's a little bit buried. If you go to my page, um, if you go to my page, there's a page that's all of my books in series order. And if you scroll down to right. Gettysburg Paradox, there's actually a link to where it, it was published um, in a gallery of curiosities. And I think they still have the podcast of that up. So they did a podcast production of that one. Um, so I, th I think you can still download the podcast for that, um, if I'm not mistaken. I also sometimes will run, um, like I'll do, um, I'll do uh, group promotions with other authors. And uh, a lot of times I'll throw in a couple short stories for those. So a lot of times on on book funnel or story origin, if you pick up free ebooks on those sites, sometimes you'll uh, you'll you'll see uh, let's see the, the Gettysburg Paradox sometimes shows up on that one. Utah Raptors at Dawn, I believe that one is for sale in uh, in times such as these, which is the other collection that's on the graphic there. Um, and that one, let's see, that one's a little harder to find online. Um, I think it was published somewhere, but I forget exactly where it was. Um, but uh, that one isn't available in that collection. They are very good. So I will link for you, dear listener, um, the the link for the, the two collections that he has them on his end where you can just buy them and there's a, other short content. And then you did another one that had a really um, French word title about uh, life on a spaceship uh, by two during a, like a, a interstellar cold war almost. And it was like Lassist something. It was a French oh, yeah. word. Yeah. That was really good. It would help if I could pronounce the foreign words, but I just <laughs> I took German in college people. I didn't take French or Spanish. So yeah. Uh, and German is relatively easy. You just got to sound like you're angry and you're about to spit on someone and you can get the accent right. French requires a little more finesse to pronounce. So mm -hmm. yeah. But so the, one the one you're talking about is L'Enfer. Well, I can't pronounce French very well myself, but it's L'Enfer, c'est la solitude. It's kind of a take on the title is a take on, there's this French saying, L'Enfer, c'est les autres, which is like, hell is other people. I think it's there's a short story. I forget the author, but it's about a, a bunch of people who go to hell and find out that hell is just being locked in a room with a bunch of other people forever. Um, but this one is kind of like, no, hell is actually being alone all the time. And so that's uh, that's where the, that, the title for that story came from. So uh, when you write your short content, and I know we got a limited time, you mentioned you had a two-year-old and you got to put the, the little one to bed. So, you know, we can't go long like we've been doing. And dear listener, we're working hard on getting at a sort of strict time limit to maximize everyone's writing time. But having said that, like when you're writing short content, it's very easy to get carried away and say, holy crap, this microfiction is now a Brandon Sanderson-sized novel. So how do you like limit the scope for yourself when you're writing them? Oh, I think it takes, I think it comes with practice. I think after you've written a couple, it is, it is a different art. It's kind of like, I mean, I guess it's, uh, I mean, I'm not much of a golfer myself, but I, I imagine it's a little difference between like the difference between putting and driving, you know, you, yeah. they're different, they're related skills, um, but they are a little bit different. And so you've got like a short game and a long game. Um, and I think the thing with short fiction is that it is really good is it allows you to practice beginnings and endings. And um, so I think a lot of times a lot of times I think being able like having, okay, like this is the core idea that I want to get at and just focus on that and not get distracted by other things that helps to keep it shorter or also being like, okay, you know, recognizing that you can only fit so many ideas in a story. And so knowing which ones to cut the problem with Christopher Columbus wildcatter in the early draft was that I just had, I just, I drew way too many cards and was trying to do way too much. Uh, so I ended up splitting the story in half and turning it into two stories. And now I think I'm going to, I'm going to be expanding it into a kind of a series of stories. Um, but, um, and I think that knowing where to end things and knowing that you can, knowing that you can begin things pretty late, like while the action is still going on, like getting, you, you get a really good sense of where's a good place in the story to begin. Not necessarily like too early, not necessarily too late, but, but fairly late. And then also knowing that you can, you know, getting out when you can pretty early enough. Um, but mostly it just comes down to practice. 
So there's a style of novel that sort of fell out of fashion because short content has fallen out of fashion because there's just not as many magazines and uh, it's not as profitable for a lot of authors. So they don't do it. And because they don't do it, there's not much of it, as much of it out there. And because it's not as much out there, readers have sort of gotten conditioned that the only way to read is 12 billion story long novel arcs where the, the story never goes. And like, there, I get it. I get hooked on some of those too. My only grievance with that is the only style of writing is you know the main characters are going to live because there's 12 more books, right? <laughs> and so the good thing about short content is it's a wild card in that anything could happen because sometimes, you know, they wake up and it was all a fever dream. Sometimes everyone dies and you're left just like, damn. And sometimes it's, you know, everything in between. So with short content, unless it's a character from an existing universe, like you just, anything is possible with those still. You're not locked in by hundreds of thousands of words, you know, sort of locking it. Um, so that you know there's there's room for that i think in the market um one of the market one of the types of stories that came out of that when everyone was selling all these stories to all these different magazines is a concept called a braided novel are you familiar with those a little bit i think i've heard i think i've heard it uh, called like a stitched together novel what yeah so kristen Catherine rush did that with her health her uh, wreck divers novel the first novel in that universe it's like three or four actual novellas that were in magazines the basic idea is if you're writing in the same universe you can sort of weave them together into from several separate stories into one coherent novel either by having them all be from different points of view or follow each other chronologically and you just sort of mend the edges stitch the edges because you write so much short content are you ever going to do that with any of your your short content are they are they all linked like that or I think so. You know, there's um, well, I'm I'm doing it right now with with the Christopher Columbus books. Um, I do think those are going to eventually be, get stitched together uh, when I've when I've done them all. Under my pen name, I'm also doing a bunch of shorts. Um, under uh, the series name is Zedekiah White. Um, my pen name is J M White. Um, and I think those are going to be. I don't, I don't know if they'll be a novel, but definitely a a, a collection where they're basically it definitely has an arc. Um, and I'm kind of, I've been kind of um, inspired by uh, the Solomon Kane stories and also the Conan stories by Robert E. Howard, where, you know, Conan ha definitely has an arc through his whole life. And so you, some stories take place when he's the king, some take place when he's just a, an adventurer. And, you know, and so um, one thing that I've actually been experimenting with is outlining a novel and then po poking around in the novel and saying, oh, I can pull this you know, chapter out and turn that into a short story. And so I've kind of been doing almost the reverse of a stitched together novel. Um, and a lot of my fantasy short stories are kind of like that. Um, one story that I did, um, I believe that's in my fourth collection, but the story is uh, Lord of the Slaves. Uh, that one you can't. That one you can actually pick up. It's I do run it fairly frequently as a um, as a as a, a free short story within the um, in the group promotions with Book Funnel and Story Origin. Uh, but Lord of the Slaves is one where I'm like, haven't written the novel yet. Not exactly sure how the novel is going to pull out, but I've outlined the novel and I thought, oh, this would actually be a really interesting. Kind of chapter to pull this out and, and throw this around a little bit um so you're go ahead no go ahead yeah I'm, I'm done i say i say one of their short your fantasy short stories that i really loved uh was uh the hill it's a hill upon which i'll die or a hill to die upon something to like that effect uh which was your fantasy it's actually a novel i don't I, I think it was longer than a short story but but yeah you you do some interesting things and take some interesting perspectives that you don't really think about with fantasy a lot of times in fantasy like the orcs are just the default bad guy they're created out of pure evil thank you tolkien uh and so they're sort of the antithesis of what you want to be and you sort of told the story of the orc without saying oh they're just misunderstood and there is no good and evil you said well what if everything else is the good and the evil and, and the, like you change the paradigm without without getting rid of the concept of good or evil and and going for pure nihilism and i like the way you did that because i think there's value in stories teaching moral lessons uh, without beating you in the face with it, even if the moral lessons is sometimes it just sucks and you got to deal with it anyway, right? Like, yeah. you know, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, so you've got a lot of short content to choose from. So with, with that being said, um, if you could live in any of the universes you created, because I know we're, we're button up time, your, your baby's going to want to go to bed soon, and I don't want your wife angry with me because, you know, we, we don't want her to, to fly down here and, and hurt me. So... If you could live in only one of your universes or one of the universes that you've written stories in, which one would it be? Oh, I know exactly what that what that would be. Uh, Gunslinger to the Stars. Uh, but I want to live really? in it. I would want to live in it after the trilogy's over, because you get to the end. You know, so much science fiction 
so so much of science fiction is based on the ideas of like um, Malthus or Marx or Freud. Um, then th these are really big thinkers that have really thought they've really influenced a lot of stuff. But you read a lot of science fiction and, and especially um, like it's they take place in futures where it's like, you know, we're running out of resources and everything is falling apart. And, you know, and, and you know, this is the idea of, of um, I, forget what, I think it's John Malthus, but he basically he was the guy who said, hey, you know, the our food production growth is arithmetic, but, you know, our population growth is exponential. And so eventually he, he, basically he's arguing that Thanos is right. You know that we we need to kill off a bunch of humans in order to actually for everyone to survive. Otherwise, we'll overpopulate the earth. And I think that's complete bunk. I think that there's that we are we are. Um, I'm very optimistic about humans being able to actually find um, solutions to a lot of these resource problems. And I mean, it might not be you know the kind of lifestyle we're living right now, but I don't think it's going to be a poor lifestyle by any means. Um, and so, in that universe, is kind of a that universe is kind of a rebuke to those Malthusian ideas. And I'm actually looking, I'm trying to look for more science fiction that is basically like, no, we believe that in human ingenuity and um, that human ingenuity and human uh, resourcefulness will be able to help us to solve these problems that look like they have no solution, um, but actually help us to get to a, a better future. And I think that that's the way things are going to go after we get through, through some of the craziness that's going on in these times. Um, I think a lot of our, like our energy crisis and, and stuff like I think a lot of these crises crises are manufactured, and I think that there are some really um, some really reasons to be optimistic about yeah. about the future. So they did. Uh, it's one of the things Elon Musk has talked about, and you know, for all that he gets involved with the political, one of the things he's talked about is the danger in actual population decline because we've become so specialized that you know you actually need more people, not less, to make society function without us going backwards. Yeah. Uh, technologically yeah. speaking. And I think there's some merit to that. I think we've got lots of wasted opportunities for, for resources, like so many homeowners associations, for instance, you can't have functional gardens. You can plant flowers that are just pretty, but functional gardens, oh, you, know, you, you mustn't do that within city limits. And so this idea that we waste so much real estate on just grass that does no other purpose than you know aesthetics, I think if we got started getting away from that and we put people back in touch with you know, touching the dirt, go outside and touch the grass, as they say, I think you'll find perspective shift. Um, I, I do think ingenuity is the mother of all, you know, was it uh, desperation is the mother of all invention, as they say, I'm probably butchering that that expression, but I do think there there is room to be hopeful as well. Uh, before we let you go, and you know, you're gonna give us your second, you're gonna give us your links, but you mentioned your pen name, uh, uh, Jade something, right? Um, can you tell us what that is real quick? And then what's the difference between that and your regular writing? So my pen name, my pen name J M White is actually, and I picked that name because um, I have an ancestor who uh, I, I admire. He was a he was a uh, pioneer. He was a member of the Mormon pioneer trek, and I thought, you know, and we share the same initials, and so I thought I would name my uh, my pen name after that. I write a lot of fiction. Um, I write mostly mostly mainstream science fiction, but I do write some science fiction that draws a lot more heavily on. Um, Kind of my roots as a, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and a lot of the kind of more Mormon ideas and and things there. And so when I feel like when I write fiction that is more, no, I want this to actually deal more with those kind of things and really um, kind of more take things more from like a religious angle, or not not necessarily explicitly religious, but more like it has things in it that you know might not be as palatable to like a mainstream audience. Um, I write the stories under that. Um, under uh, under my pen name J.M. White, and so I've only got a couple stories out under that one right now. But um, let's see. But I'm, I've been writing these stories about this kind of uh, almost like a Solomon Kane um, Punisher figure um, called Zedekiah White in this far future, and he's he basically is um, kind of going through his world and, and cleaning up and a lot of the corruption and a lot of the uh, a lot of the evil that he sees there. Um, and so that's been kind of fun. It's kind of like if if Solomon Kane were you know to to be in uh, kind of like a, I guess, well, to meet the honorverse or something like that. It would kind of be a little bit like that. Um, um, but then, and I've also done the, um, I've also just written a few one-off short stories. I have this idea. So the, the pen name really came from this idea of what if, um, you know, like Jesus Christ comes again, there's, you know, he reigns on the earth. Satan has been bound for a thousand years and then the people, but the real reason he did it was so they can build this giant spaceship so people could finally go to the stars. And I was like, oh, this sounds this sounds like kind of an interesting universe to write stories in. And so that's kind of uh, the universe that I write those stories in. 
Now, having read a lot of your content, okay, almost all of it, you do have some very sort of LDS themes running around it. Not that like you're beating anybody's face with it, but if you know what you look for, you can see it. Um, and I just happen to have a um, enough friends of your of your um, persuasion that you know you can start to see it just because you know people talk, right? Uh, so is this more on the nose as JM Wright, or is it right or white? White. Wait. Okay, I'll link. I'll get with you after the after we hit record or stop recording, and I'll get those links as well. So if people want to check it out, they can find you. Uh, presumably, you have the same website though, right? Like you just differentiate yep, on the website. Um, okay, yeah, I, I just use those ones. Well, I think the main thing is, um, yeah, I, I do have kind of themes, you know. And you talked about like writing nihilistic stories. I don't think I'm really capable of writing a, a truly nihilistic story because I'm just not a nihilist um, at all. Um, I think I, I, I don't think I'd be able to write that. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of the stuff, it does kind of come out, um, in a lot of the, in a lot of the different stories. Um, I try not to be too explicit about it, um, or too, um, but I do kind of, I do lean into it a little bit in terms of, um, what I choose to write about and what really, um, uh, what kind of a world, you know, I want to create and everything. Um, but I think the big difference is that uh, when writing mainstream fiction, you've really got to create a world where it's like, well, this could be, you know, the, the question when you're when you're building a world, the question is, is there a God? And I think with mainstream stuff, you have to really kind of like leave a lot of room like, no, there is no God. Like this is, you know, or or not that there is no God, but but God could be anything, right? You can't come down and say, no, like answer that question. Um, in the J.M. White world, I kind of do answer the question, actually. And it's kind of a almost like a far future, like, well, like what if... Um, you know, the end of the world happens and it happens this way. And then, uh, then things get a little bit different, you know, and that's kind of one of the things that I've been exploring a lot with the jam white stories. Okay. So I'm assuming the answer just because, you know, we've, we've known each other for a couple of years at this point, is the answer going to be the same for both, um, your, your name is Joe and, and your pen name, but what age range is generally speaking is okay for your stories. Are they family friendly? At what age would you say, because um, we have some families that listen to the show where it would be okay for a kid to pick your, your story up. It depends. Uh, it depends on the story. I think a lot of the earlier stuff that okay. I wrote was not as family friendly. Like a lot of the Gaia Nova stuff is not, um, or the Sons of the Star Affairs. It has some language in it. It has some violence in it. Um, not generally a lot of explicit sexual content, uh, but there is some violence and there is some other stuff. Um, I think the most family friendly thing I've written so far is probably probably Genesis Earth, that trilogy. Um, I mean, it does, it'll, it'll swear on the level of like damn and hell, but, uh, and as I've, you know, gotten married and had a family of my own, I'm, I'm writing more, I'm trying to write a little bit more family friendly myself, knowing that that kind of limits your audience a bit. Um, so I think going forward, a lot of my stuff is going to be more, more, uh, family friendly. The short fiction runs all over the map. Um, like for example, on the graph, on the graphic you've got there, the new covenant, uh, that short story is very explicit. Um. It's got some. It's got. It's it's very explicit, very violent. Very got a lot of language in it. Uh, so that's definitely not family friendly. Um, but it really does depend on the story. Um, I think. So as we bring this to a close, uh, we're obviously going to ask you in just a second your social media contact. So if they will reach out to you, uh, if they've got questions, are you available to answer that for them? If they email you or find you on your your contact page on your website, would that be something you could do on a one on one basis, story by story? Hey, sorry there. All right. Sorry about those technical. Uh, you are fine. Sorry about those technical difficulties, people. Uh, we will have edited that out before you uh, before you watch this, so um, you won't see any of it. But we have we have you know apologize for the jump cut. So if uh, if someone wanted to reach out and they were curious um, about the family friendly rating of an individual story, is that something you could do if they if they wanted to reach out? Oh, for sure. Yeah. No. If you feel free to email okay. me. Um, or ask on my blog. Um, probably the best way to is you can email me. I've got a, a Gmail account that I. Uh, um, that's probably the easiest way to reach me. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, this is the part of the intro uh, of the interview, dear listener, where I remind you: please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right book. So do your part, people. It's a symbiotic relationship: the readers and the writers. Um, and for those, for your content that you're selling directly on your website, how would they review that? Is there a, an option on your website? Uh, yeah, you can review stories on the site. Um, I haven't, I, it's a little bit tricky to get there. I still, I'm still building the site, so I need to make it a little bit more obvious there. Um, but, uh, I think I, it is possible to review stuff on my website. Um, although the best place to review it is definitely, um, to pick it up on Amazon, um, or on Goodreads. Um, those are probably the best oh, places. I'll let you review it too. 
Yeah. Book Bob will. All right. So you you heard him. So he you told he's told you where you can review his stuff. So uh, once you read it, go ahead and share your thoughts with everybody. But uh, as we wrap this up, Joe, can you tell listeners how they can find you? What's the you know obviously it'll be in the show notes, but what's the easiest place for people to find you on the interwebs? Uh, best place to find me is my uh, my blog. Uh, it's one thousand and one parsecs. Uh, OneLowerLight.com slash writing. And um, best way to follow me and be apprised of everything that I'm doing is to sign up for my newsletter. I put that out about three to four times a month. And um, yeah, I try to try to have something, something, some goodie in it in every email that I send out. So. Okay. And I, I follow that and you get lots of cool gardening stuff too. So you should, uh, <laughs> you should check it out people. I'm a little jealous. My garden has not been as successful as of late, but I'll, I'll catch up. Give me, give me some time. But uh, you can find us, dear listener, on our Twitter account at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. We do have a Facebook page, the blasters and blades Facebook page. Uh, unfortunately, right now we don't have enough people following it to give you an actual URL. It's just a bunch of gobbledygook. So you could uh, you could look us up and hit the the like and follow button over there. We would greatly appreciate it. I will soon be linking that over there on the um, Facebook group so you guys can find it. Uh, we have a website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. I have been in contact with the people making the proper website, so uh, stay tuned for that. Um, you can support us over on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on, or you can support us more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Handley. And be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver explodes and it'll be glorious to watch. Maybe we'll film it and, and give it to you for free, dear listener. But uh, as with that being said, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and the aforementioned Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And since you'll be listening to this right before the clock strikes for November into December, be sure to check out his website. I'm sure he's going to have all kinds of sales for, uh, for gifts that you might want to give the reader in your life for the upcoming festivities. So do your part, people, and uh, shop indie. All right, you have a wonderful